I'm Shauna Van Bogart, and this is Just Being. Softball was my sport of choice growing up. I played every summer and then in high school. My first two years in high school, I started every game. Second baseman here, shortstop, even designated hitter for part of the season. But once I got to varsity my junior year, I was benched. This was a different coach than in junior varsity, and he had pretty much made his mind up long before the team assembled as to who would start and who would be on the field. And I, as my dad always called me, was the runt. I was the shortest, the skinniest. Shout out to my fellow late bloomers out there. And while I didn't have the power that other girls had to hit home runs, I was quick. It was a big change for me to go from playing every game and feeling very confident on the field to being benched every single game. And no matter that I showed up for practice every single day, and no matter how I performed in practice, I would still watch most of the games from the sidelines. And so that's what I got used to. Sitting on the bench was my norm. And my confidence dwindled because of that, because I wasn't on the field. I could not actually perform. So when I was put in to play, it was usually the sixth or the seventh inning and we were majorly ahead, right? It was a low risk to put me in. And I would be so crazy nervous because I wasn't actively performing. So the few chances I did get, there was a lot of pressure. So at one point during junior year, it's a doubleheader and I get put in as a pinch runner. What happened was that I ended up stealing two bases, including home base, to secure a win for our team. And it felt great, but you know what felt even more great? The next day, my coach handing me the local newspaper and seeing my name plastered on the front page of the sports section in the headline, in bold letters, they had highlighted me and they had highlighted our team for our surprising win, for coming from a losing position to stealing bases, which gave us that win. I probably had played three games that season, so this was the second game, and to see myself in the headlines like that was such a confidence booster, right? And I was really needing that. So I had a little pep in my step, and it's the next game. He puts me back in as a pinch runner, and I completely botch it. I was so overthinking it, and I was totally nervous. I didn't know if I could replicate what I did before, and I was getting in my head all about it, and I just completely messed up the cues that he was trying to give me, and it cost us a win because I got way too in my head. Needless to say, I did not play another game. I was so tired of sitting on the bench, and I was humiliated by me botching that big opportunity that senior year, I said, F this, I'm joining the track team since clearly I can run and realized that, well, running bases is very different than running track. So I ended up being pretty mediocre at track, but at least I was with my friends that year. Kyle Cease, another transformation coach and teacher. He's amazing, by the way. I encourage you to check out his stuff. He basically sums up what I experienced in this softball example perfectly. He talks about this in his book, The Illusion of Money. He says, People hoard their past. Pulling from his book, he says, many of us are riding off of the momentum of what we did yesterday and allowing it to cut off the fresh, inspired desires that our heart has for us when we open to possibilities. 
we're hoarding our history, storing it inside our nervous system, and chasing some past emotional high instead of allowing ourselves to be brand new in this moment and opening up to something bigger than we've experienced. Our mind often thinks that the best possible thing we could experience in this moment is only the recreation of the best thing that has ever happened to us. This is gold. I could not have put this any better. With my audience, I talk about blank slating. You've heard me bring that up before. And when you've been in business for a while, it is easy to get into the butts when you're trying to evolve to another place. But this is how we've always made money in the past. But this doesn't work. We tried. But my audience won't buy at that price. I've tested it. To which I always say, and how is your conviction in those narratives working for you? The work I do with seasoned business owners is so gratifying because I can so empathize with where they are at and there's so much gold here to work with. When we have those wins in the past, when we have those best possible things happen, when we have peak moments, of course we seek to recreate them. But if we don't seek to evolve past them, if we don't seek more, we will fall into complacency. We will stagnate. If you only operate from a, but this is how it worked in the past, it will only have a short fuse. When we live from our rearview mirror, we are in an unwinnable game. One thing that can hinder us is self-imposed pressure to perform the same way we did in the past, like my softball example. Now, this is not a black or white thing. We're not saying not to use the wisdom that history can give you or not to reminisce and feel good you know, over all of the feelings you had at that high point from the past. We're not saying don't celebrate it. Continue to just aim for more, aim for more, aim for more. We know the detriment of that. What we're saying is don't let it confine you and certainly don't use it as a measuring stick. You can't experience more in the future if you continue trying to recreate your peak experiences from the past. On a scale of 1 to 10, what if the peak highs you experienced in the past were actually only threes? What if it could be better than what you've already experienced? And what if in relinquishing the view of the rearview mirror, you could see and experience the even better? What if instead of trying to recreate what I did in the previous game, I kept focused on the present moment and operated looking forward instead of behind me and the pressure that I had imposed on myself to recreate my behavior and my actions and my performance from the past? This was something I had to really own for me to move forward. Every iteration of my career and with the clients I was supporting, I continue to get clearer and clearer as to what my big question was. And that is, what was the thing that makes people thrive? I personally had gone down the tactical route, both for my business and with other people. People had always been coming to me for business coaching over the years, primarily through word of mouth and exclusively to talk about how to scale or build their online following or rework their business model. And some succeeded with it and some didn't, even if I was giving them the same advice. I had gone down the image route, showing people how to leverage the tools of body language, appearance, communication. Again, some succeeded with them and some didn't. More significant, there wasn't consistency here. 
There were crazy successful people who were not leveraging these tools, and then there were others who were that seemingly fell short. So I started going down the self-care route. People were coming to us for image consulting services, but then wanting to transform the other areas of their lives. I had built this Rolodex of service providers that I could refer people out to. And so as a natural evolution of my first company, McKenzie Image Consulting, it started to be less about image and more about self-care in general. How to put the right things in your body, how to feel better, how to look great doing it. And I had this big desire to bring all these resources that I was collecting under one roof. And frankly, the old brand of McKenzie Image Consulting became mismatched. Sure, that was one thing we were doing, transforming the specific image, but we were also starting to venture into these other areas of an individual's life with the help of other service providers who were tapping into it. Making the decision to phase out McKenzie Image Consulting, my baby, my first vision, my first business, was not an easy one. It probably should have been phased out at least two years prior, but it took me a while mentally to get on board with that. I was refusing to abandon my own ship. A lot of that was in trying to recreate the highs that I had previously experienced rather than to keep expanding. I was also trying to squeeze myself into the vision that I had set for myself on day one of my self-employed career despite knowing it was too small for me. It's like being the girl who is trying to fit into her college jeans and you're so focused on them fitting that you don't even realize that they're completely out of style. Girl, stay present. Those flare leg silvers are not for you anymore. This is one of the big things I see get in the way of business owners, their own vision, which is hard. It's hard because typically if you're a business owner, you have a lot of those visionary qualities in you. So Being asked to set that aside, the vision, feels illogical and counterintuitive. But believe it or not, there is a downside to thinking big. Your really big dreams can turn into really big self-imposed obligations if you hold yourself too rigidly to them. Sometimes all the pieces are there, but the container is wrong. And you fixate too tightly on the vision And you will crowd out the brilliant solutions or ideas that are trying to flow through to get you what you want. The problem with words like persistence and determination is that we glorify them and we give them all this power, not realizing that they, just like anything else, only work void of extremes. There is a fine line between persistence and insanity, and it's easy to confuse the two. As much as I was thriving in other areas and as much opportunity as I was seeing, I kept squishing myself back into this cramped container of McKenzie Image Consulting, and I tried to rework it in many, many ways, many, many different website versions, exploring many ways to package the services, even shortening the name to Mick, all to avoid abandoning that damn ship. And to be honest, I can't remember when I made the decision to move away from it or as we called it at the time, a rebrand. It wasn't. It was a full-on closing of a company and launching a new one. But it came sometime after a very tense moment with Jay, my husband. We were driving home from somewhere and we were talking about my business. The pressure was on me and I was being squeezed. He was being patient, but it was definitely waning. We pulled into the garage and we were sitting in the car and he said to me rather pointedly, Shauna, you are not an image consultant. 
You're not an image consultant. When are you going to get it? I was so angry. He had hit this nerve. He had hit my trigger. He wasn't insulting me, although that's how I took it because that's where my frame of reference was at the time in denial and still deeply dismissing myself, but I was pissed. So I left him in the garage and I drove to my office. I sat in there crying and I took all of my old notebooks that I had saved from my first year in business, the ones where I had written down the dreams of my future office, the brainstorming of different ideas, even my notes from those very first client meetings. And I ripped them up in a fury. I had been saving them for nostalgia, to just have them, to reminisce, but I was so angry. I was so fed up with myself. I was so upset, I just destroyed them. And I really, really regret not having them still today. As much as I regret not having the actual notebooks, the ritual of destroying them shifted something. After all, that was my literal initial grand vision of my career written in those notebooks as I saw it from day one. But I was clutching to it, going back to it over and over when I knew it was not serving me anymore. Hmm, where is that a familiar pattern? A hint at earlier episodes. Big visions can get in the way in two ways. Number one, you set it once and you don't check in over time to see if it's still in alignment with your purpose. Sure, you wanted it then, but do you still want it now? Are you being honest with yourself? And number two, you get inspired. You see a vision quickly come to formation. And even though it feels very exciting to have that big dream, the moment you see it, you feel overwhelmed. That second one, the overwhelm, happens time and time again with business owners. They get this big hit, which inspires them into action, but very quickly they stall up. It often shows up in the form of second guessing, overwhelm with the to-do list, perfectionism, data collecting. They get this big hit and they start moving on it as if it needs to launch out of the gates to a thousand people right away. I've done it many times in the past. I get so carried away with overcomplicating it, overcomplicating the website or the process. I fill up my to-do list with every little detail. I get into this perfectionism as to what it needs to look like and how I want it to be based on the big vision. And until one of my coaches said to me, Shauna, why do you have to be all big and shiny all the time? Until that was said to me, I didn't get it. My knee-jerk reaction when asked, why do you need to be all big and shiny all the time, was to take offense. It hit me really sharply, but immediately I felt this wave of relief because my coach was right. The question was more about what's driving that need to be all big and shiny? More so, what was it that I was thinking I was wanting? And was I ready to see things differently? And was I ready to tell a different story as a result of being a different way? You tell yourself all kinds of stories. I want to be a lawyer because my dad was a lawyer and I want to do all these things. And you, you end up living a life of your, this story that was either passed down to you or that you created, but you're not happy. Something's missing. Something's gnawing at you, but you're not sure what. This is Amy Buck, one of my clients who is an equine-guided performance coach. She owns Wisdom Ridge Ranch, where she brings executives and professionals out in nature and facilitates very deep and very quick shifts within people, driven heavily because the work that she does is in concert with her horses. 
I have personally experienced working with Amy and her horses twice, and it is one of the most incredible experiences. It is one of the fastest and most amazing ways to get clear on what is holding you back and what you're really wanting. Most often what I see, Shauna, is people's attachment to their story. Most of what I see that manifests in the clearest way is a deep, deep, deeply held, rooted attachment to their story. As Amy says, that's what being stuck is. Our attachment to an old story that is so deeply rooted and so deeply held by perceived facts that we believe to be true, that makes it difficult to let them go. Stories are what we tell ourselves about our circumstances, links we make between cause and effect, judgments created in response to what our senses are taking in. Stories are also created around our vision. In business, it plays out like this. Oh, I can't do that because I don't have a big following yet. Or hiring the help I need will cost me too much money. Or if I rebrand, I will lose my current clients. Or I can make money or I can have fun. I can't do both. One of the things I'm looking for in my clients is to get these stories they are telling themselves about the future they want to step into. Thinking big and having that vision is a very positive thing. It inspires us. It motivates us. It gives us purpose. But when we go to actualize it, the biggest things that can get in our way are the judgments about what can and cannot be possible. Getting sparked on the vision is the easy part. Taking those first steps and staying out of judgment, staying out of story, that's the challenge. I often see possibility tapering drastically in those initial first steps of action toward a vision because all of a sudden our left brain is flooded with facts and logic and data and why this can work and why this can't work, majorly poking holes in what we initially saw in that vision because it doesn't perhaps make sense and certainly doesn't make sense with what you've already previously experienced. You can't know what you haven't known yet. And so for seasoned business owners, they're carrying around the history of their business, knowledge and wisdom and experience, all great things, unless that data becomes restrictive rather than supporting. Another way our vision can become restricting is if we plan too much. Despite what people say about manifesting and needing to visualize every single detail to a T in order to bring it into your life, Vision can be hindering if it's too mapped out. Amy shared with me a story about a woman who had her whole life mapped out, and it was full of a lot of shoulds, should go to college, should get your degree, should get a good job. Even as business owners who got into business for ourselves to have freedom, it's so easy to find ourselves imposing a lot of shoulds on how it should look or be done. Amy's client discovered through her work with her and the horses that there was a contrast within her, that she was dismissing a piece of herself and neglecting some majorly important aspects of her vision. I'm going to live this life that other people think I should live. She's miserable and she doesn't feel seen. She doesn't feel heard. She doesn't have her passion. And so she's in the round pen with one of my horses, Zinni. And when I would coach her to talk about what she loved, which was adventure, her travels to Europe, learning a new language, hiking, all the places she wanted to go. Zinni came into her in the middle of the round pen. Zinni literally just came to her and put her head right in front of her 
and wanted to connect with her, wanted to bond with her. It was, it was obvious. And then when my client would start to talk about all of the things she's currently doing, the school, the homework, the job, the boyfriend, the boyfriend's like demands and habits, all like that life stuff, then he literally walked away. Not interested. I'm going away. She was in the round pen for close to an hour, and this continued for the whole hour. When I get step into that place and I embody that place of what I love and what I'm about, what turns me on and what makes me happy and what fills my soul, the horse comes in because she's being congruent with who she is. This congruency is important for numerous reasons. One, when we can close the gap, eliminate the shoulds, define what we really want, and step more into our joy, we just feel better. We're happier. We're satisfied. We feel balanced. But the other reason is just as important. Other people feel it from us. Our energy is what sells or not sells. If there's an incongruency within you, If you're neglecting a piece of yourself because you're too hung up with the vision you've mapped out and it's too restricting, other people will pick up on that. They might not put words to it. They may not consciously realize it, but it is a detractor versus a magnet. And it's this feeling that can leave people with something just feels off. We all know someone or we've witnessed someone in their zone. It's the people you look at and you say they were built to do this. And that is what attracts people and horses. Of course, knowing what you really want, not what the old you wants, is the point of discernment you'll have to work on finding for yourself. Which you is talking when you think about the vision you have for yourself, an old you or a current you? And we always talk so much about like knowing what you want, but just that part of, I don't really know what I want. This young woman didn't know. She thought she was doing everything right. But something was not working for her. And the action was as simple as, I'm going to add more adventure in my life. Her decision was, I'm going to continue this school thing. I'm going to continue this thing. And I'm going to add more adventure in my life, right? She ended up making all these changes because Zinni could show her what she loved energetically. Zinni is one of Amy's horses that she uses with her clients to help reflect back to them what feels expansive from the heart and even what their true desires really are. When we discover what this is for ourselves with the help of the many tools and coaches that are out there, we are in expansiveness rather than constriction. Expansiveness brings the right people your way, stakeholders, clients, business partners, If you're following a vision that is outdated or too rigid and not inclusive of what fills you up with the most joy, you are not on the path of least resistance. You are instead pushing that boulder up a hill. I firmly believe happiness brings more flow to our life and it is your job to make yourself as happy as you can be. That's hard to do when there's so much judgment tangled up within your passion and in what you're really wanting for yourself. Most of this coming from societal conditioning that tells us success is hard, success is a struggle, making money comes at the sacrifice of happiness. Sean Acker explains in his book, The Happiness Advantage, that while we may think we have to sacrifice our happiness to get ahead in life, research in psychology and neuroscience shows it works the other way around. He says we become more successful when we are happier and more positive. For example, doctors in a positive mood 
before making a diagnosis show almost three times more intelligence and creativity than doctors in a neutral state, and they make a more accurate diagnosis. Optimistic salespeople outsell their pessimistic counterparts by 56%. Students primed to feel happy before taking math achievement tests far outperform their neutral peers. It turns out that our brains are literally hardwired to perform at their best, not when they are negative or even neutral, but when they are positive. I know how hard it can be to know what you want. Clearly, I completely empathize with feeling frustrated and not knowing what it is that you want, and especially frustrating when every single guru out there is telling you that you can't get what you want until you first know what you want, and you must know it and visualize every detail of it. How are you supposed to know what your life partner or your dream home or your ideal business model looks like if you can't see it? How are you supposed to move through your morning visualization meditations or manifest your soulmate if you can't even decide if you prefer that they are blonde or brunette? And what if brass hardware on cabinetry is just a trend and it's no longer cool in a few years? I don't want to visualize that in case I don't want it or it's out of style. Trying to force a vision of what you want can often leave you feeling more confused, more overwhelmed, more second-guessing. You can see the rabbit hole your mind sometimes wants to go in when it comes to discerning what is real about your desires. The irony is that the trying, that energy of figuring it out, I call it force, is the very thing holding you back from seeing it. For me to finally get clear on what I was really desiring, I had to stop figuring it out. I had to stop controlling. I had to realize I was persisting to see out a vision that was an old version of me. I had to step away. I had to just be. Chances are what you're saying you're wanting is not really accurate. Trust me, every single client of mine, every single one has discovered false wants that were at play. Wants that may come from your head, not from your heart. And once we get those out of the way as a result of getting light, clearing away the blocks, then we could see what it is that they were really wanting. Thank God I didn't take that PR job. Thank God I didn't end up with my ex-boyfriend. Thank God I didn't go with the original name of this podcast because I would have regretted it. Thank God I didn't get that hedgehog I thought was so cute because ain't nobody got time for that. How many of you got things you thought you wanted only to realize it was absolutely not what you thought it was going to be? My husband thought he wanted to live on a boat, and after living on a boat together for a year in Charleston Harbor, you should ask him how he feels about that desire. And listen, we have to experience things to oftentimes get that clarity. We should be grateful for these experiences of getting things we thought we wanted just to realize that maybe it's not what we thought it was going to be like. It's one great way to know what it is we truly desire or at least hone in on it to refine it. The beauty of experiencing what we don't want is it gives us the gift of clarity and clarity as to what it is that we do want. Ideally, what you're looking for are your heart-based desires, the ones buried underneath all the judgment, experience, story, and sabotage. I've experienced landing on a heart-based desire with the work I've done with Amy and her horses. It's incredibly fast at cutting straight to the truth. 
It works super fast because most humans live in our world of language, whether that's through thought or verbal language. And we have many other capabilities when it comes to communication. Verbal language is really only about 7% of our entire communication modalities available to us. And so what the equine work does is it allows us to step out of our verbal world and into our somatic world or our heart-centered world, into our guts, into our intuition, into those places that we have suppressed, that we have relied way too much on because of our you know, need in the society for an investment in logic, right? So the equine work, just by its very nature, brings us out of our verbal world and into our heart and our gut, which are actually intelligence centers. Our heart emits electromagnetic currents, just like our brain, and most of the currents from our heart are actually stronger. HeartMath Institute is a great place to look at this research. And our gut, our gut is also a knowledge center as well. When we're doing work with the horses, Shauna, those are the two places that we go to. We get out of the head and into our intuitive nature. You could call it somatics, you know, our body language, our heart, our gut our energy centers, whatever resonates with you. But it is grounded in, in elements of science. I would say a pure desire is one from the heart, void of the thought processes of the left brain. We're seeking to get at the feelings our desires provide to us. And if we know that being in high vibrational emotions, such as joy and peace and gratitude and love and happiness, actually do get us things, like attracts like, then tapping into our feelings as they relate to our supposed desires is where you will find the gold nuggets you're looking for. Being so close to ourselves, it's just easier to do that when you have an outside tool, a mentor, or a resource like a horse to help you get at it. Horses are used wildly here as well as for other healing modalities in the world because they operate with a certain objectivity, unlike dogs or cats. Dogs will pick up on your energy. You know this. You know this with your cats, right? They will pick up on your energy and respond to it. But because they're so highly domesticated in most circumstances, they will respond in the way that the human has kind of taught them to respond. But because horses aren't with us 24-7 and haven't become so deeply bonded to us that they come from a pleasing place, which is where many domesticated dogs and cats come from. Even you could say cats aren't pleasing, but they sort of do, right? They respond to their human. Horses are bonded and connected to their herd, herd over human. And so their first energetic response to a human is going to be, are you safe or are you not safe? So when a human is working through their emotions energetically, a horse will either be attracted to those emotions if they feel safe, and congruent or repelled by those emotions if they are not congruent with what's happening in the human. The horse is a measuring device in a way. The horse will tell you if you're congruent with yourself. And this is the beauty of the work and this is why it's so fast. Let's be really clear. It's not that horses will disengage when you're in feelings that you label as negative and then engage with you only when you're in feelings labeled positive. We're looking for trueness, authenticity, congruency of feelings. 
I've personally witnessed firsthand standing in the ring with two of Amy's horses, feeling intense emotion coming from within me. By default, I started to try to shove it down. I started becoming incongruent because I was not expressing the authentic feeling I was having at the time, even though it was negative. So guess what? The horse walked away. It disengaged, not because the feelings that were trying to come up were negative, but because I was in contrast. I wasn't being authentic in expressing them. But when I finally let myself go, when I got vulnerable, when I started tearing up, the horse immediately turned toward me from across the ring, trotted, not just walked, trotted over to me and nuzzled its head on me. It was crazy and powerful and yet totally normal. I asked Amy if she's ever seen it not work with horses, meaning where they would ever get it wrong. She said no and then gave me this awesome example. A bunch of my friends and I went on a trail ride. There was a woman that I did not know on a horse, old horse, trail horse, tried and true horse, and the horse was acting up. And the woman hadn't ridden in ages or something. And I said, are you afraid? And she said, no. And later in the ride, she got bucked off. If she had said yes, I guarantee you she wouldn't have gotten bucked off. She had said, yes, I'm afraid, and I'm going to keep going. Then the horse would have read her congruency, the horse would have believed her, and the horse would have partnered with her to take care of her. But she lied to herself and to the horse. So I have never seen it not work. The act of wanting is not the problem. It's the story we tell ourselves around the wanting that matters. If you can picture every detail of a desire and that comes easily for you, let it flow. If the details feel expansive, the stronger the feeling you can build within yourself as a result of mapping out those details, go for it. If you can't, or if it starts to feel heavy, operate from this mantra. I get exactly what's right for me, and I leave those details up to my higher self who is more knowing than I am. And if it's not coming to you, surrender it. Commit to no force. Move your attention off of it. Despite what so many manifesting or law of attraction coaches out there will tell you, there is such a thing as too much focus. It's called intensity. And it's one of the biggest blocks in the way of business owners. And it will stall up your true desires from popping into your reality. Move away from trying to figure it out. You've got to get light first, and then the vision will effortlessly come back to you. And you'll use that vision to get into movement. And the last thing, stop micromanaging the universe. It knows what it's doing. It often makes no logical sense. But the faster you get on board with that, the easier things can flow. I don't remember too many of the details after destroying all my notebooks, but I came around and very quickly to making a drastic shift. Building anew under a totally different umbrella This became what we called Best Kept Self. We had this big shiny launch, champagne, photographer, an in-style rep came down from New York to showcase one of their newest partnership products, and over 100 people showed up to see what it is that we were bringing to the world with this new launch. Best Kept Self began as a one-stop shop for transformation. The founding team included me, Megan for styling, she was my apprentice turned employee, a makeup artist, a holistic health specialist, and a professional working mom who could speak to managing a family while chasing your ambitions. Soon after, we were chosen as one of 10 Self Magazine blogging partners, and we also launched a subscription box, a self-care box, 
This was my first experience with curating and selling a product. But here is what was unique about the way I treated this business and treated this platform. Because of the clutching that I had realized I was doing with my old business, I swung the pendulum far the other way. I went into this saying to myself, I'm going to be totally hands off the wheel. I'm going to allow it to unfold the way it wants to unfold. It was sort of this act of surrender. I also went in not wanting to be the primary face of it. And even more so after the first year, I really wanted to push my contributors and the team to the front lines. And so I became director, manager, business builder, but removed most of the Shauna brand from it entirely. The tagline was self-help for the self-employed. What started off as a place to find service providers for the areas of your life you wanted to make shifts in quickly became this online editorial. Again, hands off the wheel, and that's where it was headed, so I went with it. We were pushing content like crazy, and then we launched this contributor program, which was one of my absolute favorite parts of it, if not the favorite part of the whole process. We were publishing two to three posts a day, sifting through more than 100 contributor applications, picking 12 new people for six-month contracts. We had, at one point, more than 50 contributors by year three who were regularly writing for the site. Because of this unexpected shift to becoming an online magazine, I essentially moved into the role of editor-in-chief. Now, this was interesting because one of the things that had always lingered with me since I was a kid was this idea of working for a magazine. It was why I opted for an internship at Charleston Magazine when I first moved to Charleston. It wasn't until Best Kept Self turned into this that I realized I was getting something that I had said somewhere along the lines I was wanting. But after having it, it ended up being something I didn't entirely love. I liked it, but it was not my zone of genius. I'm glad I experienced it. It took an option off the table for me. So again, that clarity is always a payoff of actualizing something you didn't quite want as much as you thought you did. But the more we got into sponsored posts and paid content, the less I was loving it. I didn't like being at the hands of major brands who wanted us to push products that we ourselves did not personally support. Frankly, I just didn't love money that much. I actually let our partnership with Self Magazine die off because I wasn't willing to sacrifice our integrity of our brand and ultimate mission to push content that felt totally out of alignment for us. The piece that really made me put my foot down was a Fifty Shades of Grey spinoff that was totally out of alignment for our brand. We were all for a healthy sex life, don't get me wrong, but that was just not the way that we wanted to position that. So I'm running two companies at this time, Best Kept Self and Studio for Image Professionals. Both were manageable because of how streamlined the systems and the processes were. And obviously I had a tremendous amount of support, but I was pretty far removed. Knowing how this part of my story plays out, I asked Amy what she thought the horses would say if I came into the pen during this time in my life and asked them about embarking and being a part of Best Kept Self. This is what she said. One of the most powerful exercises I do with people is I have them go in the round pen with a horse and I say, make a declaration. Tell me your goal. What do you want? And the horse will respond to that. The horse will tell you if that's right or wrong, if you believe it or if you don't. Because you can make declarations all day long about what you want, 
like you were saying in your first business, right? If you were in the round pen with a horse and you're like, I'm going to do this brand thing and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. My guess would be that they'd be like, meh, meh, you're, I'm, that's just not interesting to me. Tell me something interesting. I highly recommend you take the short path to your success, which is to solicit the support outside of yourself so you can get super clear, super fast on what is getting in your way. Being able to step into a round pen with a horse during this stage of my business would have definitely shortcutted the time for me. But if we don't have access to this power animal in our lives, rest assured that playing it out will give you the clarity you're looking for or recreate the same pattern, which should also get your attention to hopefully stop and say, okay, what's really going on here? A couple years into Best Kept Self and I was still questioning my place and that was immensely frustrating because I felt like now I had officially explored every option. I had done it completely different. I had taken an entirely new approach than I did previously and I'm back in the same freaking spot. What was I looking for? What was this void I kept returning to over and over, no matter how much I achieved? My hands were just totally up in the air. And what I did next may totally surprise you. More to come on Just Being. SVB here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Just Being and that you'll be continuing along this journey with us in the next episode. In the meantime, I have pulled something from my personal toolbox and posted it for you over at my website on shaunavanbogart.com. You will definitely want this in your back pocket. It is for tapping into your truth quickly and getting unstuck fast. It is my personal three-sentence journaling hack that I use on a regular basis that helps me get really clear feel better, and attract what I really want. It's to help me get out of my head and into motion and into inspired action as fast as possible. You can find this tool over at shaunavanbogart.com forward slash get light. Just Being is produced by Jeremy Enns and the team at Counterweight Creative. Special thanks to Sarah Ashman and her team, Shauna Hader, Michael Weston, and Kelly Elizabeth for making this labor of love look and feel as beautiful as I felt creating it. And to my right-hand woman, Jess Butler, for always keeping me in line.